This Wellness Couch podcast is brought to you by the Wellness Couch Club. Get exclusive access to the Wellness Guys and Marcus Pierce in live events, webinars, newsletters, and more for less than two bucks a day. Go to www.thewellnesscouchclub.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Sarah Stewart. I'm Steve Hayter. And I'm Brett Hill. This week, we're privileged to be chatting with Dr. Terry Walls once again. Last time we had her on the show, we heard about her own very personal story uh, and all about how Dr. Terry adopted the nutrient-rich paleo diet. And she used this as the base to develop her own approach to healing chronic autoimmune conditions. Since we last spoke... Dr. Terry has revised her book and created a groundswell of discussion via social media. Here to give us an update is well-known TED Talk presenter and author of The Walls Protocol, How to Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine, Dr. Terry Walls. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. We're excited to have you back again, so thank you for joining us. Uh, For those that don't know your story, can you give us a brief snapshot uh, about your journey so far? Oh, sure. So I'm an academic internal medicine doc, uh, a professor at the University of Iowa. In 2000, I was diagnosed with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, and that was on the basis of a history of visual dimming 12 years earlier, a new problem with weakness in my left leg, lesions in my spinal cord, and abnormal spinal fluid. Uh, Now, I knew at that time, within 10 years of diagnosis, people with MS One-third of them will develop problems walking, needing a cane, walker, or wheelchair, and one-half will be unable to work due to severe fatigue. Now, at that time, my children were ages five and eight, and I was the main breadwinner for our family. And so I decided I needed to treat my disease very aggressively. I sought out uh, the best MS center and research center that I could find in the Midwest, and that was at the Cleveland Clinic. You know, I saw their best people, took the newest drugs, uh, and still, uh, within three years, my disease had transitioned into uh, what is known as secondary progressive MS. In that phase of disease, there's no more improvements, uh, only a a slow, steady decline. I I took uh, the Novantrone, and then I took Tizabri, that miracle drug, the new biologic, uh, but it continued to decline. I needed a tilt-recline wheelchair. Uh, And at that point, I started reading the science uh, myself and began experimenting based on what I was reading in the mouse studies. And so I'm adding a variety of vitamins and supplements. Now, I'm going to back up for a moment. In 2002, while I was still walking around, my neurology doctors at the Cleveland Clinic told me about Lauren Cordain and the paleo diet. So I, I read the papers, I read the book, and after 20 years of being a vegetarian, I switched to reintroducing meat into my diet. I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy, uh, but still declined, and the next year converted to secondary progressive, uh, needed the wheelchair, etc. In the summer of 2007, I was so weak I could not sit up in a regular chair. 
I had to be in a special zero-gravity recliner or in bed. I could walk uh, very short distances using two walking sticks. Otherwise, I used my tilt-recline wheelchair. And that summer, I found the Institute for Functional Medicine. Took their, They had a great course on neuroprotection. I now had a much longer list of vitamins and supplements that I was taking. Um, and then in November, I realized that, you know, I should take this long list of vitamins and stuff that I'm taking and figure out where they are in the food supply. So that was more research, and by the end of December, I, I now had reorganized my diet, still following paleo principles, but to get these nutrients that brain cells needed. And within three months, my brain fog was gone, my fatigue was gone. In six months, I could walk throughout the hospital without a cane. In nine months, I uh, biked around the block, the first time in about five years. Uh, and at 12 months, I was able to do a 18-mile bike ride with my family. So this experience really transformed how I thought about disease and health as a person. It transformed the type of medicine that I was willing to do. I, I now focus on diet and lifestyle in my practice using functional medicine. And it would change the focus of the research that I do, uh, which is now about diet and lifestyle to treat chronic diseases, including MS. That's fantastic, Dr. Terry, and such an inspirational story. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of a, a fan moment, but mm -hmm. uh, whenever uh, I talk to people about the podcast and what we do, one of the things I get most excited about is to be able to speak to people like you, who's someone who's an academic in the medical profession, and it was your own personal health crisis that had you really pioneer a, a way forward for yourself but also the, the repercussions of that are to, to benefit so many people. So that's really exciting. And one of the curiosities that I had as having a, a read over your book is it's, it's not just applicable to people with MS. And I was wondering if perhaps you've heard an account from someone or, or a testimonial oh, yeah. where you could share with us where perhaps it oh, would sure. just come out of left field and how what you do has helped them with something else perhaps in their life. You know, um, so I have thousands and thousands of followers uh, in social media, and uh, people will post on my wall telling their stories. So uh, things have helped. Uh, lovely photograph, young woman with Parkinson's of the young. Uh, she was so disabled, she uh, couldn't work, she could not feed or dress herself, and she could only lay on the couch and tremor all day. And she posted this photo of her out hiking with her dog, uh, tell me that she had gotten her life back. Her Parkinson's nurses and physicians were stunned because they've never seen anybody have their symptoms resolve uh, without uh, doing uh, drugs or surgery. Yeah. Uh, we've had people with uh, myasthenia gravis uh, tell me that uh, their symptoms have been markedly improved. Chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, of course, uh, thyroid disease, chronic fatigue, uh, Lyme's disease has been greatly helped rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, scleroderma, psoriasis, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. In my clinics, uh, you know, we often see people with very complicated chronic diseases, many diseases, often on 20 to 30 drugs. Uh, and we treat them with diet and lifestyle and see them steadily youthen, typically uh, steadily lose weight, pain uh, disappears, energy improves, mental clarity improves. And typically, as they're having, you know, they're youthening and improving, 
their blood pressures and blood sugars normalize, we're having to reduce medications, uh, reduce their pain pills, and, and often they're able to taper and withdraw even their immune-suppressing drugs. That's awesome. Uh, what, what an amazing array of results over such a, a broad range. And it's, it's really cool. And I think it speaks of the, the amazing recuperative powers of the body, you know, if you give it that chance exactly. and give it what it needs. And uh, one of the things I'd love for you to talk about, though, Terry, uh, obviously we're talking a lot there about neurology and about brain. So, so what about mental health disorders? I get asked this question a lot and people saying, well, can it have an oh, impact? Yeah. You know, what have you seen there? So I have two clinics that I operate in. One is the therapeutic lifestyle targeting complicated chronic health problems. The other is a traumatic brain injury clinic. And in that clinic, we see traumatic brain injury, a lot of PTSD, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, bipolar, and uh, substance abuse. And again, I I treat people uh, with a lot of education on the role of diet and lifestyle and how and why eating plus exercising is so critical for your brain. And uh, very typically, as I get people fired up about using food and exercise to rebuild their brain, you know, they come back in three months telling me that they find it so much easier to get along with their family and the coworkers, that their irritability has gone down, they're happier, uh, the fatigue has gone away. And, and this is true, whatever of their psychiatric or psychological problems that they're dealing with, in addition to the exposure to a, a blast injury. Um, Dr. Terry, I just wanted to lead further delve into that a little bit more. And I remember when we spoke to you last time, you said that the role of meditation and taking quiet time to help manage the stress of day-to-day life was really important to you, so much to the point that if you, know, if you didn't get out you know, at least one or two meditations a day, that it, that it impaired your sleep. And um, yes. I, was, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit how much or, or what, to what extent does the role of mindset or mental coaching slash meditation, sort of stress management, all of that, where, where, how does that come into effect with the treatment that you do? Yes. Um, so we, we teach people uh, you know, the study diet, and we also go over uh, stress-reducing practices, and I uh, teach them a mantra-based meditation. Yep. But then I explain that uh, there are other stress-reducing practices that they could select if they prefer that. And what I've observed both in our clinical studies and in my clinical practice, that sometimes people are really doing the diet a great job. Mm. They've been improving, and now suddenly they're stuck, they're plateauing. And that's when I sit down and have a conversation to figure out if they've deviated from the diet. And and often that, that is the case. But the other big problem is that there is a major stressor in their life that they're not dealing with. It could be a family conflict, unexpected financial bump. Often they're pissed off at the spouse or the in-laws, and rather than deal with it, they're just trying to ignore it. Uh, So their cortisol goes up, which drives up the inflammation and creates a a very inflammatory state for the brain and for the body. And so when I point that out to folks, generally they've been successful at dealing with that challenging problem in resuming their meditative practice uh, and then again getting back on the trajectory of better health. Mm. 
And I think that power just can't be underestimated. It's just your book, whenever I pick it up and look at it, it just reiterates that message of food as medicine, which is wonderful because it's something that's, um, you know, accessible without having to go and see a GP and be confused. So it's all there and I feel like you've just laid it out and, and given us an opportunity to understand it more readily, which is wonderful. And Dr. Terry, I know that you've, um, since we last spoke, revised your book. What's different? What's new? So we've had some corrections in there in terms of clarifying how to make this more apparent for autoimmunity in general. But I would say, in honesty, this is largely the same book as in hardback, in paperback, uh, with some corrections and fine-tuning to make it a little more focused on uh, the autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. A little bit more portable as well, you know, like in paperback, it's, it's you know, it's a read on the on the train, on the well, bus, public transport, chuck it in your bag. It, 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 is, it is so accessible. You know, the, uh, you know, the other thing I, I wanted to comment on, in my scientific community, I uh, also have a lot of criticism that I've taken this unusual stance for scientists is I've put this out to the public, what I'm studying, what I'm researching in real time. So I'm letting people know what are the diets and the protocols that we are studying as we are studying them, mm. which, of course, allows the public you know, to decide, okay, this diet looks pretty safe, pretty low risk. I will go ahead and adopt this for my health challenges. And I did that because you know, it takes 20 to 30 years for the, the, the science that we do to spill over into everyday clinical practice. Yeah. And why make the public wait 20 to 30 years for such valuable information? Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. It's, that's that's the beauty now of the, the internet and the social media. And, you know, information can be dispersed so much quicker now than it ever could be before. You know, it used to be that we'd wait until it became into the, you know, it had come into the research and then you have to wait until that research then came into the university and then until those graduates then came through to the profession and, and it would be such a slow process of change and, and it's fantastic that it's happening so much quicker, isn't it? Oh, it's, you know, it's very exciting it, and for that reason, your listeners and people like you who are paying attention, you can be aware of the research at the same time that I'm aware of it and I, I find that incredibly exciting it means that the curious, open-minded person who's doing a lot of reading and searching has the capability of knowing just as much about the latest research and the newest thinking on their chronic health issues as the researchers who are studying that. Yeah, it's, it's exciting, a very exciting time. And you're talking about that, Terry, in relation to chronic health issues. And, and one of the things I hear people say about, about your diet or, or any of the sort of various paleo diets and all those sort of things is people will say, yeah, look, you know, it's a bit of an extreme diet. It's a bit, you know, restrictive, whatever they say about it. And they say, you know, I see where there's a benefit for that with people with these chronic conditions, but, you know, I don't think anyone should be doing it. You know, what do you say to that? And, and how do you see the Walls Protocol being used, I guess, more as a preventative or just a health yeah. measure as opposed to just waiting until you've got some sort of chronic disease? Mm. You know, we have a lot of students who are volunteers in our research lab. Uh, these are undergraduate, sometimes graduate students. And when they come in, I ask them to spend two weeks following the study diet, keeping those study logs, so they could get a sense of what the diet is like and how challenging it is to do this diet and deal with all the daily logs. And what these kids discover, and these are young kids, you know, ages 18 to 
25. So they're in the prime of their life, lots of energy. Yeah, uh, and what they find is <laughs> they they have more mental clarity, better focus, better moods, less anxiety, and they've also a couple of kids have told me that their athletic performance improved. Uh, you know, so then the two weeks are over, and they're like, okay, let's go out and have pizza and beer with the, my friends. And often they've discovered that after the pizza and beer, they had headaches, malaise, felt badly, and end up figuring out that, you know, they really just prefer how they feel following our steady diet. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that, and I'm sure a lot of people um, that are listening along with us can as well. The uh, body tends to speak pretty loudly after a while once you're able to listen to it, so that's wonderful. Um, Terry, something that really resonated in your book for me, I'm a personal trainer and I love accessibility for everyone and I talk a lot about levels within basic exercises and movement and I noticed that you've actually got levels when it comes to your um, nutrition and discussing it within the book. Can you elaborate on that for us? Sure. So as I uh, approached the book, I wanted to make this as accessible as possible. So we took the first level, uh, what were the critical components? That is to take out the foods that are most likely to cause excessive and inappropriate inflammation. And that's the gluten-containing grains, wheat, rye, barley, the dairy protein, casein, and the albumin protein in eggs. The, uh, so we have people eliminate those foods at least for three months and then ramp up uh, their vegetables, greens, green leafy vegetables, sulfur-rich vegetables, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family, and deeply pigmented vegetables and berries, you know, things like beets, carrots, and berries, and then some high-quality protein. And I was intentional in creating ways that those who are vegan and vegetarian for spiritual beliefs, I've given them some instruction on how to do that more safely. And so it is possible at the first level to do this as a vegan and still have health benefits. Although I explain why I prefer people have a complete protein in meat. Uh, and then at the next level, we introduce things like organ meats uh, and the tremendous health benefits of that. Why you want to uh, stress the omega-3, which fishes uh, and wild game, grass-fed meats. And we talk about seaweed and the need to have uh, trace minerals. Uh, and then I also talk about fermented foods. And uh, I introduce the concept of soaking and sprouting uh, nuts and seeds. And then I have the third level, which is a ketogenic diet, uh, which is uh, something that, that I've done and have found to be tremendously successful. And this reduces the protein, reduces the carbs, and the calories, 60 to 70% will be coming from fats. And so there's a long conversation about fat and the kinds of fats that are helpful, uh, very important for cell membranes and myelin in your brain, and the kind of fats that are actually very, very harmful. Uh, and then I review the state of the research on ketogenic diets as they relate to brain problems and as they relate to uh, cancers, uh, two very exciting dynamic areas of research. Absolutely, and certainly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about America, but in Australia, a huge buzz around ketogenic diets at the moment. It seems to be the big thing at the moment, uh, certainly within the paleo community and the fitness community at large. Dr. Terry, do you suggest that people work sequentially through those levels or could you start at level two, for example? Well, you can certainly start at level two and I think that would be fine. You can start at level one. If you start at a ketogenic diet, 
and you do that too quickly, you may create what we call the keto flu and have problems with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headache, and malaise. So when we put people into ketosis, we do it over a three-week period. Uh, and we find that uh, people tolerate that uh, really quite well. When I've put myself into ketosis abruptly, I gave myself a doozy of the keto flu. Mm. And so I, I uh, have a lot of respect that for some people, if you do it too rapidly, too aggressively, you're going to have a lot of throwing up to do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Terry, you spoke about uh, the ketogenic diet, and you spoke about 60 to 70% of your diet coming from fats. And I know when we've spoken to others, you know, Jimmy Moore, for example, we've spoken to about this, and he recommends a much higher level of fat even than that oh, in order to yes. get yourself into ketogenesis. So how does that work? Why, why is there a difference there between what you okay, the two of you so are saying? What Jimmy Moore uses for his ketosis is butyrate from butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's using dairy fat and cream. When you do that, you're going to have to limit your carbs to about 25 to 30 grams a day. Right. That's about three cups of lettuce. Wow. And, and so my concern with a diet that has only 25 grams of carbs is that I'm not going to have enough soluble fiber to feed my the microbiome that I want. I'm not going to have as many antioxidants and uh, as much uh, vitamin K and vitamin C. So uh, I'm concerned that while you can do a uh, 90% fat diet on a short-term basis, on a long-term basis, uh, I'm concerned that you're going to end up with some nutrient deficiencies. So instead of relying on butter, I use uh, coconut oil or a medium-chain triglycerides and that lets me take in 60 to 80 grams of carbs. Uh, so uh, that now we're stressing non-starchy vegetables, uh, you know, cabbage, onions, mushrooms, lots of greens. I could have maybe a, a quarter cup of berries on my chia seed pudding in the evening. That'll work. If I'm going to have beets, I will grate them and have them raw. Uh, so... I work hard at having plenty of resistant starch or soluble fiber in these phytonutrients. And the other the other observation I think we all have to be sort of humble about is in the natural world, all of human societies, we may have been in ketosis every winter if you lived in a place that had winters. Hmm. But that also meant you got to have summer. And so every summer, even in the Arctic, people go out of ketosis and would have access to carbs. Now, it would still be low glycemic, so they wouldn't be having big swings in blood sugar. But even our Inuit, uh, who are in ketosis 10 months out of the year, at least two months out of the year, they were not. Mm-hmm. So it, it may be that we're best served by ketosis for several months out of the year and uh, low glycemic diets that let, let us be slightly out of ketosis several months a year. And what the ratio, correct ratio is, this prob- we, uh, humans probably have a wide tolerance. So maybe we should be in ketosis two months a year or ten months a year. And any range in there might be really good for us. I'm not sure if being in ketosis for five years is optimal. Mm-hmm. Although if I had cancer, I would uh, be in ketosis the rest of my life mm-hmm. uh, to re- reduce the risk of that cancer uh, recurrence. 
Oh, there's some great distinctions there, Terry. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing seasonal ketosis as the next book coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Terry, can I uh, ask as well, one of the things that is really fascinating, touching on the microbiome that you were talking about as well, and, and something that I know that you do focus on in your clinics, is when, when people do come in and they want to really assess the state of health that their body is currently in, that the, the role and importance of functional testing. And I was wondering if, if people had a, a pen and paper at home and they are interested in this sort of thing, what are, some, what are some basic functional testing that they can ask from their GP or their doctor to get yeah, the ball rolling yeah. to, to have a, a true and accurate reflection of what's going on and where to go from there? So, you know, actually, and I talk about this uh, in my book a bunch, so I'm trying to get people well-educated so they can be a little more captain of their own health. The primary care doc should be able to get some basic labs, uh, your fasting lipids, which would let you know the ratio of your triglycerides over your HDL, good cholesterol. That ratio should be less than three, and that would let you know that you have good insulin sensitivity. Your C-reactive protein, if it's highly sensitive, uh, is a, a, a pretty fair marker of the level of inflammation in your body. And I talk about trying to have that less than one. And my general approach is if it's higher than one, you need to follow the walls diet. Then the next level is ramp up the vegetables and get rid of all uh, high glycemic foods. And that often uh, improves that C-reactive protein. Another thing that I like to measure is a homocysteine level, and this is a, a marker of how the body handles and processes the B vitamins. Uh, and the level that I'm looking for is between 4 and 7.5. Uh, and if it's higher than 7.5, that tells me the person is not handling B vitamins appropriately. They need probably a B12, a B folate uh, uh, a supplement. They might need the already activated versions uh, of those vitamins, which I talk about in the book. If it's low, the homocysteine is less than four, they're probably uh, not getting enough protein uh, in their diet, or they don't have enough stomach acid, which prevents the proper digestion and absorption of protein. Okay. And uh, Brett, did you want to um, yeah. ask about uh, vegetarianism or vegan? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Terry, because you mentioned before about how uh, that could be incorporated into the first phase of your protocol, yeah. and, and I thought it might be a good discussion for us to have here around, uh, for those of you if, that do listen who are vegan or vegetarian, and I know I got a message from someone the other day who does listen to our show, who does do yeah. a vegetarian paleo diet, you know, how do they do that well? What's your guides for doing sure. vegetarianism or veganism very well? Well, uh, first I want to acknowledge, you know, I, I know a lot of paleo folks really beat up the vegan and vegetarian community. And one of my uh, research assistants uh, is a vegetarian by her uh, religious beliefs. And so it was important to me to, one, be respectful of my vegetarian and vegan friends, and two, design a diet that could work for them. So I, I talk about you want to at least go gluten-free, and that's so gluten-free grains plus legumes. If you soak the grain and the legumes at least for six hours, preferably for 24 and then wash them, you have begun the germination process, which then greatly lowers the anti-nutrients uh, phytate in the lectins, which can be uh, inflammatory and can interfere with the absorption of the nutrients. So that, uh, for many people, 
takes care of the uh, potential negative health sides of uh, the grains and the legumes. I do acknowledge that that treatment is not 100% successful for everyone. But certainly if the person is healthy, uh, ideal body weight, how, how they are interpreting the vegetarian vegan diet works, if they're not, then we want them to read my book so they can ramp up the vegetables and be sure they're getting a complete protein from sprouted grain and sprouted uh, legumes. Mm, and it's so wonderful that you do, um, you know, acknowledge um, vegan and, and vegetarian and, and are inclusive. Um, I actually think that paleo and, and vegan and vegetarians have a, a whack of things in common. And I think it's a really healthy uh, and important discussion that we have. So pleased that you do note it as well, um, Dr. Terry. Yeah. Um, it must be the, the quickest 30 minutes we've had already, but um, I, I wanted to thank you very much for checking in today and, and giving us an update and also being such a generous source of information. Um, we're really excited to share you know, your progress um, and success with our listeners, and I'm sure they'll appreciate you coming back to um, let us know what's going on in your world too. So if you do know anyone suffering from MS or autoimmune conditions, we definitely urge you to get them a copy of The Walls Protocol. Um, I believe it's even available um, in audio if you uh, want to whack it in your ears instead of uh, reading it. And uh, you can purchase the book, learn more about Dr. Terry Walls and The Walls Foundation, as well as access some fantastic resources all by visiting terrywalls.com. And um, stay across all of the latest Dr. Walls news on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And go and check out her TED Talk, Minding Your Mitochondria. It will absolutely blow your mind. It's amazing. So as always, we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. Remember, you can join the conversation by liking that paleo show on Facebook and following us on Instagram. Until next week, continue to share your story and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Hello, Marcus Pierce here, CEO of The Wellness Couch and co-host of 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind. If you are champing at the bit to take your 2015 to the next level, then I invite you to this special one-night-only event on Thursday, February 5th. The Exceptional You, Unleash Your Greatness is a boutique two-hour workshop on designing your very own unique exceptional life blueprint. How have the most magnificent people ever to live conducted their lives? What wisdom have they passed on? What do they eat? How do they move? How do they think? And how can you be one of them? I share all of this at this special one-night-only event. Tickets are just $47, and a special two-for-one offer may still be available. For details, simply go to exceptionallifeblueprint.com.au forward slash you, or check out 100 Not Out on Facebook. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.